0: Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brand. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you guys for worship this morning. Uh, Looking forward to opening God's Word with you as we we study this year. Uh, Like I mentioned last week, we're taking just a couple of weeks here as we start the new year uh, just to spend some time thinking about what it is that we believe about the Bible and why do we believe those things. If you've been at River City for any length of time, you know that whenever we gather here on Sunday mornings, what we're always going to do together is open God's Word together and study it together and seek to understand what does it mean and how does that affect our own lives. And so as we began a new year, I just wanted to spend a couple of weeks just kind of coming back to some of those foundational stuff about why it is that the Bible and God's Word is so central to our time and our gathering and stuff here at the church. Uh, After that, so I think we have just one or two weeks left, Uh, after that we're going to be diving into the book of 1 Corinthians and just working our way verse by verse uh, through that book for the better part of the spring and probably into the summer at least, And uh, there's so much good stuff in there. I have been studying and prepping over the course of the past few weeks, getting ready for that next series. And man, I've been so encouraged and challenged by the ways that God's been working in my own heart with that. And I can't wait to share with you some of the stuff that God's been teaching me as I've been studying. And so, so much good truth there that challenges, that meets us in our need for God and his word, challenges us where we're at. It's incredible how the, the word of God, even though it is 2,000 years old, is so incredibly relevant for our lives today. And so I can't wait to study that book with you. So... Uh, like I said, this week, though, we're um, in the middle of a series, is a short series, taking a look at uh, what it is that we believe about the Bible and why we believe those things. Last week, we began the series by taking a look at the doctrine of sola scriptura, which is the conviction that Scripture alone should be our highest authority in all matters of, of faith and practice. And as we studied what well, we, uh, we, we studied 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we saw how the Apostle Paul uh, urges Timothy, this young pastor, to go all all in on God's word and, and to make that thing the, the most important part of his ministry and his teaching. And he talks about, uh, he, gives the, the, uh, he gives this young pastor, Timothy, three really big reasons why, the, why God's word should be the thing that holds the highest authority in his ministry and in our lives. And he says, first of all, that, that it should be the highest authority because it's the very word of God. If you want to know the truth about something, especially if you want to know the truth about God, you go to the source. And so what we see and what we believe is that the Bible is the very word of God. Secondly, we talked about how the Bible is trustworthy, that it's not just reliable, but it's also true. And so because it is both reliable and true, it it is the trustworthy word of God. And lastly, paul we uh, we saw last week in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that Paul says that God's word should be our highest authority because it is sufficient. It's enough, he says, to teach us what we need to know about salvation, about being made right with God, about how to know Him and be in right relationship with Him. But also, Paul says, it's enough to teach us about our sanctification, which is our ongoing growth. It's enough to teach us what it looks like to live in response to being made right with God as His people. And so the Bible is our highest authority because it's the very Word of God. It's trustworthy and it is sufficient. What I want to do this week as we continue our brief little study here is what I want to do is kind of highlight a number of other um, components or a number of other things that that oftentimes take the place of God's word as our highest authority as we seek to understand God and his word and his world. There are other things that, that often get in the way that become our highest authority. And so and so what I want to do as we study is kind of identify some of those things and, and highlight, and then at the end kind of come back to how what it looks like for Scripture to be our highest authority here at River City and how that impacts our church and our lives. So with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll dive into our study this morning. Jesus, thanks so much for your word, and thank you so much for allowing us to gather this morning. We're grateful for that. God, as we study this morning, we pray that you would help us um, to rightly understand the role of your word in our lives and the supremacy of it in our church and in our studies. And, and God, we ask that you would do that, not just so that we would know more information, but God, so that our hearts would be surrendered and submitted unto you. And God, we uh, want to be a people who, who honor you with our words and our lives and our worship. We want to be a people who proclaim you, and, and so God, at the very root of that is being a people who are willing to submit themselves to your the good authority of your word. And so God, we ask that you'd help us to understand rightly uh, what gets in the way of that this morning, but also you would, you would empower us to see the goodness of putting ourselves under the authority of your word. And so for our good and for your glory, God, we ask all of that as we study this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, so again, so when it comes to discerning what is true about God, when it comes to discerning uh, his, his word and his world, the, the world around us, um, there are a number of influencing factors that come into play, factors that in, impact what we believe and why we believe. And, and the first is, is that there's our experience. There's, there's the things that we have happened to us in our lives. There's the way that we view the world. It's our, and the spiritual experiences that we have. Secondly, there's, there's reason that's our intellect and our mind that's that's science and our analytical processes and our understanding and lastly there's there's tradition uh, or thirdly there's tradition that's what's that's what society at large and more specifically what the church has understood and taught us and lastly there's scripture there's the bible What we believe, like you talked about last week, as the very word of God. And so the question as we study is not which of these things should impact our view of God's word and his world. And as we think about what we believe and why we believe it, the question is which of these factors will hold the highest authority. We utilize all of these things as we seek to understand God and his word and his world. But when push comes to shove, when, when we have to decide what is right and true, It's God's word that must hold the final authority. See, it's either going to be his word or it's going to be our own personal experience that will be the final judge. It will either be the word of God or it'll be our own reasoning and our own intellect that will trust to accurately weigh the options. It'll either be God's word or it will be our traditions. What we've always done or been taught to do that will have the final say and only one of these things should have the final word and it is the very word of God. Again, that doesn't mean that we don't utilize experience or reason or tradition as we seek to understand what we believe and why we believe it, but it means that those things must be subordinate to the word of God. They must must take a, a subordinate position. Our experiences can be misremembered and misunderstood. Our reason and our intellect can be incomplete, and our traditions can be unfounded. And so What we want to do this morning is try to highlight what happens when something other than the Word of God takes the place as our highest authority. When they're put in a position where they were never meant to be, whether that's intentionally or accidentally. And so, the first one we want to identify, the one we talk through, is, is, is when we allow reason to become our highest authority. The Enlightenment brought about the exaltation of the autonomous man, and, and it led to the exaltation of reason and the advent of kind of the thinking that we know today as rationalism. And rationalism says that all, all opinions and actions should be solely based on reason and knowledge. And that what can be objectively understood and confirmed is the only possible basis for truth. And everything else should be disregarded and considered invalid. And so when it comes to thinking about God, when it comes to the terms of rationalism, people often think, well... Unless God fits into my box, unless he fits, unless, unless you, God proves himself to me on, on my rational terms, then I'm just not going to, I don't have any room for believing in God in, in my life. And they limit God's revelation to the realm of science and microscopes and test tubes and reason and logic. My friend Rick uses this analogy a lot when he hears this thinking. He talks about, kind of similarly, the problem is like, let's say you needed to get all your packages delivered by the UPS guy, right? And so you decided that in order to make sure you're going to get all your packages, you cut a two-inch slot in your door. And that would work amazing for like three percent of packages, right? The rest of them I mean, I don't know if you've got anything from Amazon lately, but they're in way too big of a box, right? It would not fit through that it would not fit through that opening. You see, you might get a few packages, but a lot of them are going to be missed. The same as the, the, in the same way, the person that says, I just can't believe in God, or I'm not I'm going to reason to be the highest thing in my authority until God scientifically proves himself to me, that's, they've narrowed the range of acceptable revelation to this overly slender slot in the front door of their thinking. You see, after all, could it be possible that God wants to reveal himself in multiple ways? he's not just limited himself to the realm of science now this does not negate the validity of scientific discovery it does not suggest that science was is irrelevant or unimportant but it is meant to say that science might only allow us to catch a few of the deliveries that God wants to make as he seeks to reveal himself to us and it will miss out on many more you see reason is just one of the ways that we understand God and form our beliefs and practice we should study God's word and his world. You see, science is not the enemy of the Bible. It's not the enemy of God's word. Oftentimes it is presented as, as it is. The reality is that all truth is God's truth, right? And so as we seek to understand what is true, we, we by nature reveal the God that created what is true. And so as we study his world, what it should do is should point us to him, to be amazed by him. And to worship him as we understand the world that he's created more and more. I love this old hymn. Uh, it's called, my, This is My Father's World. The author puts it this way as he writes. He says, this is my father's world. And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings. The music of the spheres. This is my father's world. I rest me in the thought, he says, of rocks and trees, of skies and seas, His hands the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world, the birds their carols raise. The morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. See, it is so good for us, especially as God's people, to study his world and to think critically about the world in which we live. That is urgently important for us to do. And the reason it's important is because as we study the world more, what we see is the God who made it. And we see him, and as he reveals himself to us, we worship him all the more. But reason can't be our highest authority. Reason can't be the thing that's at the ultimate pinnacle, right? You see, oftentimes we put reason above the scriptures, and when you do, what you get is rationalism. Thomas Jefferson, he used a knife to literally remove sections of the Bible that he found personally to be unreliable. Literally took a knife and just cut them out. Especially a number of the miracles that were attributed to Jesus. And the Jefferson Bible, as it became known, it illustrated this deistic view of Jesus as he's just this preeminent moral teacher, but nothing else. As one author notes, Jefferson clearly put his own standards of rationality above the authority of Scripture. Lots of people implicitly cut out parts of the Bible they don't like. Jefferson literally did so. And so we don't want rationalism. That's what happens when you get reason as the highest thing, but but also we don't want to ignore reason. Like I said before, when you ignore reason, you just get fideism, which is kind of a blind and ignorant faith, right? And like we talked about last week, that's not what God calls us to, and neither is it what honors him. God is the wisdom of all the ages, and so to never ask questions and have a blind and ignorant kind of faith is not something that honors him. Instead, reason should operate as the servant of the scriptures, and we use reason to carefully study and understand God's Word and the world around us. You see, the, the claim is not that the Bible addresses every form of truth, but the claim is that the, all that the Bible says is true. And so we begin with that assumption, and we use that to allow us to, to filter the things that we learn about the world through that lens. So some rely on reason to be their final authority, but others, one of the other things that gets in the way that becomes our highest authority is, is experience. Experience. As a pushback to rationalism in the age of the Enlightenment, uh, in the Romantic era, era experience became this, this elevated to the place of highest authority. It's the idea that our personal experience and our understanding is the, is the final authority on what we believe and, and how we live. And this is a kind of thing that's at the root of most of the kind of postmodern and relativistic thinking that we see so often in the world around us today. Relativism is the idea that, that truth is dependent solely on context, or perspective rather than being absolute or objective. It's the opposite of rationalism in a lot of ways. You see, truth is what you decide it is or what your community or your culture decides it is, and what's true for you might not be true for me. And we hear this kind of thinking all the time in our world today. Often it's touted as kind of limitless tolerance and the way to true peace, but but really it's just pride that's been put a fancy mask on. You see, when the basis of our beliefs about God and truth are ultimately based on our personal experiences, we find ourselves on really shaky ground. One of my friends, Rick, he does a lot of uh, evangelistic and apologetic work amongst college students. And, and he really wisely highlights this really significant difference that, that happens when the starting point of our faith and our practice is our personal experience rather than the Bible. Um, he writes it this way He says, When the starting point uh, in, is God's self revelation through his word, people tend to ask the question, How do I fit into God's story? But when the starting point is your own personal religious experience, people ask a very different question. How does God fit into my story is the question. One is permanent, the other is provisional. He goes on to say, people often begin with themselves rather than God. And when they grow tired of the church or its traditions or struggle with certain teachings in the Bible or just feel put off by fellow Christians or wither under the critique of skeptics, They say to themselves something like this, God no longer fits into my experience or beliefs. Time to move on and move out. And at first they have a feeling of exhilaration as the restraining cords of of religion are cut away and they reassert control of their own lives. Self-empowerment is alluring indeed and an entitlement of Western culture. But what usually happens is that at some point they feel untethered and unmoored and unsettled. Because your final authority is, if it's a culture or personal experience, the ground is constantly shifting. Cultural norms are in continuous flux. Personal experience is highly subjective. Neither are reliable guides in the long run. But if your final authority is scripture, if it's the very word of God, then you have an enduring stability, one that can last and one that will not change. But don't get me wrong, that experientialism is just an issue for college students that some college kids need to think about. How many times have you been sitting in a Bible study and somebody says, well, what this passage means to me is, or, well, I hear what you're saying, but I just take it a different way. Oftentimes that 's experience being elevated to the level of highest authority rather than the Bible now don 't get me wrong right it doesn 't mean as we study scripture we can 't have differing viewpoints and, and it 's not that our perspective don 't matter, but sometimes what happens is that we 're not trying to find out what god 's word means we 've already decided what it means, and we 're trying to import our own opinions onto the text. You see, experience cannot be our highest authority. the Bible must be you see. The thinking of our age so often, postmodernistic thinking says that, that the meaning of a, of a text or something that's written, it lies with the reader and that you either can't know or aren't meant to understand what the author intended. Either way, it doesn't matter. And the problem is, is that if you want to approach a, a, some poetry that way, if you want to approach some, some, some fiction literature that way, go for it, Right? But the Bible was not written so that we might supply the meaning of it. See, God is the one who, as we talked about last week, inspired and wrote the the Bible. And our goal is not to, to form our own opinions around it, but our goal is that we might seek to understand what he meant and to shape our lives around it. See, we look for the author's intended meaning, and we want to find out what he said and what he meant and then apply that truth to our lives. There can be multiple applications, but there is only one meaning. I remember being in a Bible study uh, a number of years ago, uh, studying uh, John chapter 14. And, and Jesus, he, in, in that passage, he talks about it. He says plainly, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And, and we were talking about the implications of that statement. And we were talking about what that means and what is it that Jesus was really saying. I remember someone in the group who was, at that point, it was just exploring what they, what they were thinking about Jesus. He said, well, you know, I think that it just means that, I think that Jesus is just saying he's one of the ways you can get to God. And The problem is, is that that's absolutely not what Jesus is saying. It's not a matter of opinion. It's literally not the words he was saying. Oftentimes what happens is we seek to bring our own assumptions and our own experiences and allow those things to shape our understanding of God's word. But really what we need to do is seek to allow God's word to shape our own assumptions and allow his word to shape our own thinking so that we are formed by it. See, it doesn't matter most what we think about the Bible. It matters what the Bible actually says. And so our goal is not to have an opinion about it, but is to carefully study it so that our experiences are informed and transformed by it. See, basing our belief and our life on our personal experience, it seems freeing at the outset. But there is a lot of problems with relativistic thinking, namely that no one actually believes that that is true. You see, all of us, deep down, we recognize that there is truth and that it isn't relative and that there is truth that transcends our opinions. One of the most clear ways we experience is that is in a longing for justice. In the late 1940s at the Nuremberg trials, Nazi leaders were tried for the atrocious crimes of World War II, including the genocide against Jews and many other things. And, and their defense was always that, that they broke no German laws. They were just doing what they had been told. You see, but they were convicted for breaking a universal law the Nuremberg trials. They were convicted for crimes against humanity. You see, the reality is is that the notion of a universal law, it reveals the reality of a universal lawgiver, that there is a truth that transcends our culture. There is a truth that transcends our experiences. And the invitation is for us to submit to it. We long for justice. We want to promote and enforce our own view of what is right. But there is one truth, it's God's truth, and we must seek to understand it. So some put reason as the highest authority, others experience. The third thing that threatens to take the place of Scripture as we look as our highest authority is, is tradition. And this was the issue that was at the very forefront of what happened when Martin Luther wrote those 95 theses about 500 years ago, as he tried to address some of the issues that he saw that were existing in the church of his day. And they were teaching things that were based in human tradition rather than the word of God, and more importantly, they had elevated the tradition of the church to the level of the authority of God's word, and sometimes even higher. Now, before we go any further, I just want to make clear that that church tradition is not inherently bad. Understanding the history of what the church has believed and taught over time, it often helps us to avoid heresy and sketchy interpretations and applications of the Bible. But the truth remains that people are fallible. Now, we get things wrong sometimes. And so our first priority is not to obey the church, but is to obey God and His Word. And that's not to say that those things are inherently opposing forces, but again, it's the question of authority. What holds the highest authority? In Acts chapter 17, the, the Berean Christians are commended because it says that they received the message with great eagerness. It says, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And as a result, many of them believed. Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. He knows, he, he says... When it says that the Bereans examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true, the implication is that if Scripture said it, they would believe it. And if they couldn't find Paul's teaching confirmed and consistent with the Scripture, then they would reject Paul's teaching. You see, the written Word of God was their authority. It had the last Word. It was the final Word, after which no other Word would be necessary, and contrary to which no other Word would be believed. You see, that's the invitation for all of us as believers is to think critically about the word of God, to know it and to study it and to test what you are being taught by me and by others against the word of God. You see, sometimes people are wrong. We started this series when we talked a little bit about that guy named Martin Luther, who about 500 years ago was kind of a, kind of a spark that kind of lit what I was referred known to as, in today's day as the Reformation. And, and what you see is that in about three years after he had kind of written his first series of theses, his, those 95 theses and, and posted it on the, the, the door of his local church, what he found is that he was, in about three years later, he was in front of a church council and he was being threatened with excommunication from the church. And the moderator of that council, he pointed at this stack of literature that, that Luther had written in the, in the corresponding time, and he asked if Luther was ready to renounce the things that he had said. And oftentimes it's, it's said that Luther responded with the famous words, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. But in reality, what Luther really said was, can I have the night to think about it? <laughs> and he spent that night Praying and talking with friends and reading God's word, especially the book of Romans. And the next morning when the council was reconvened, he was confronted again with this same challenge. Are you willing to recant the things that you have said, the, the challenges that you have made against the church? Luther replied that the material in his books could be divided into three parts. The first was made up of material that surely didn't cause offend anyone that, that everyone agreed on. The, the second part was made up of things that were grounded in Scripture and in the Word of God and things that were contrary to which the church was teaching. And the third part was personal attack, where Luther acknowledged his fault. His zeal sometimes prompted him to resort to abusive language, and for this he begged for forgiveness. But as for the second part, Luther declared in words that kind of flesh out what we mean when we talk about the doctrine of sola scriptura. He says, "Unless I am convinced by the testimony of scripture and by clear reason I am bound by the scriptures that I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the very word of God." You see, on some things Luther was wrong. He like the rest of us, he was a sinner. And he admitted his error and asked for forgiveness, which is right and good. But there were other things, there were other traditions that the church was teaching that were in opposition to the Bible, and he could not recant his opinions against those things because because Scripture was his highest authority. And it must be ours as well. You see, tradition cannot be a superior authority to the Bible. Tradition cannot be an equal authority to the Bible. It must be subordinate to the word of God. It has value, but not supreme value. The words of man simply do not matter as much as the words of God. Some churches teach people that their chief job is to understand what the church teaches and to obey what the church says. And while the Bible clearly instructs us to submit to leadership in the church and honor and respect those who teach us, our first allegiance is not to the church our first allegiance is to God and his word and so if ever what god's word teaches and what the church teaches are at odds the choice is clear we must submit to the word of god and that is definitely true here at river city you see the bible repeatedly it undermines the reliability of our experience And our reason, and it expressly warns us not to raise our traditions to the level of Scripture. Regarding reason, Job eleven seven tells us, he says, Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? In Isaiah fifty five, God writes "For, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than yours. You see, our reason and our intellect is limited. Despite all the advances we made, despite all the technology that we have, we still do not know everything. Sometimes I think we forget that. Regarding experience, Proverbs 14 tells us there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. When Peter saw the transfiguration of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, he he thought that the right thing to do was to build some tents. But really the right thing to do was to fall on his face in worship. Regarding our tradition, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces of this world, rather than on Christ." Again, in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, he writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things, he's speaking about the Word of God and about Scripture, to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. You see, the Apostle Paul is putting himself under the authority of God's Word. And Jesus himself, talking to the religious leaders of his day, in Mark chapter 7, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, for their teachings are merely human rules. They have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You see, in contrast to reason and experience and tradition, The Bible says that the word of God is different. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. God is faithful in all he does. John chapter 17. 17, Jesus prays to the Father. He says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. You see, when we allow reason and experience and tradition to take precedence over and above the authority of God's word, what we're doing is actually dethroning God and enthroning ourselves as the arbiter of what is true and right and good. And the reality is, is that's that's not wisdom. That's at the very root of what sin is. You see, sin is mutinous rebellion. It seeks to replace ourselves and our experience and and our reason and, and our traditions over and above God. And that is the most dangerous ground we could possibly stand on. And so as a church, we want to be committed to allowing the word of God to be the thing that is of highest authority in our community and what does that look like? What does that mean for us at River City? What does it practically look like for, uh, to place Scripture as our highest authority here? Well, again, it doesn't mean that we ignore experience and reason and tradition, but it means those things are subordinate to the Word of God. When it comes to our experiences, we filter our experiences through the lens of Scripture. When someone, for example, writes a book about what heaven is like, what we do is not take them at their word. We filter what is written through the lens of Scripture and we ask the question, does this align with what God's Word has said? We don't look to culture to tell us what is right and true and good. We look to God's Word to be the the test for what is right and true and good. And when we read the Bible, we don't supply our own meaning. We trust that God has done it already and so we study God's Word looking for His intent. What is it that He has said and communicated to us, seeking to have our lives informed and transformed by the Word of God rather than merely using the Word of God to affirm or confirm our own experiences or opinions? When it comes to reason, we study God's Word not just with our hearts, but with our minds. It's so important that we engage our minds in our study of Scripture So often in the church, these things are are intentionally dislinked, that there's faith and reason and that they don't connect. But the truth, all truth is God's truth. And as we study and understand his word, we must use our minds as we think rightly about it. As we evaluate what we think about how the the realms of science and technology and how those things interact with what is true, we filter that through the lens of Scripture. If you want an example of what that looks like, go back and find our series on the first couple chapters of Genesis. And I outline a little bit about how we connect reason and Scriptures and filter those things through those lenses. But also, we submit our reasoning to the authority of the One who has made all things true. See, the Bible doesn't address all truth. That's not the claim. The claims that all of the Bible is true. And so we begin with that assumption, and we filter what we learn about God's world and His Word through that lens. Lastly, when it comes to traditions, we hold our traditions loosely, and we seek to found them primarily first on the Word of God Right now, many of you are going through the online membership class here at River City. And one of the great joys of the online membership class is that you get the privilege of reading the bylaws of River City Church. That, that was a joke, you guys. That was... No one? Wow. Okay. As a heads up if for the future, that was a great joke, Right? Anyways... Um, you get the you get the joyous privilege of reading the bylaws of River City Church, right? And one of the one of the things that you will one of the things that you will learn, they're not long or complicated, by the way, but one of the things that you'll see is that there aren't a lot of Bible verses attached to our bylaws and and the things that are written in our philosophy of ministry of our church. And that's not because we didn't come to these 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 conclusions and convictions without Scripture, but it's because we don't want our convictions to be raised to the level of Scripture. Oftentimes, it is so easy to just write something that you think, attach an verse to it, and then it becomes above questioning. You see, that's not what we want to have happen. For example, we're really committed to the idea of missional small groups at River City Church, but that's not a command that's in the Bible. It's, it's a, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's a tradition, it's a, it's a philosophy of ministry, and it's one that we think is helpful and wise, it's one that we think is rooted in biblical principles, but it's not a command and it's not ultimate, and so it's not that other churches are doing it wrong if they don't think, if they don't do it that way. Additionally, when it comes to allowing tradition, as we think about uh, allowing Scripture to be as, our highest authority in, in, in connection with tradition, is that I, as your pastor, I am putting myself under the authority of God's Word. And my goal is not to just teach you what I think about the Bible, but is to study it carefully so that I, what I might teach you is not my own opinions, but is what is there And if there comes a point where you think what I am teaching is at odds with something the Bible has to say, I would encourage you to bring it up to me and to ask me to show you in God's word why it is what I'm teaching you and where it comes from. One of the reasons why we spend so much time at River City, uh, not just doing topical sermon series, but one of the reasons why we spend so much time just working through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, is because what matters most is what God says, not what I say. And so we want to give ourselves to the study of God's word, especially as we gather. Lastly, we exhort all of you to study the scriptures on your own. The translation that I preach from here on Sundays and that, that we encourage you to use is the, the new international version, the NIV. It's not like the only version of the Bible that's good, but it's one we've, we've picked in large part because we feel like it's the best combination of accuracy and accessibility. Here's the deal. I want you to to believe and to act like the Bible is something that you can understand and read on your own, because it is. And I want that to be something that you feel confident about doing. You see, God's word is not just something that I should be studying and reading. It's something that is for all of us as God's people. And so I want to encourage you, read your Bible and be confident that you can do it. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted him, then you have the Spirit of God. And one of the chief jobs of the Spirit of God is to help us to understand his word. And so you have what you need. Get a study Bible if you have some more questions. Ask some friends. It's good. But read your Bible intentionally. Study the scriptures on your own and test what you're being taught against it. I hope that you trust me. I'm not trying to lead you astray by any stretch of the imagination, but also I want to encourage you, keep studying on your own. It's right and true and good for you to do that. You see, when Scripture is our highest authority, it is incredibly freeing. When we exalt anything else to the place of highest authority, we're playing God, and we cannot bear the weight of that responsibility. Instead, we're meant to put ourselves under God's good authority. It is safe and good. It is indeed where we actually thrive and we know and live in light of the truth of God's word when we place it as our highest authority. As we close this morning, as we take communion together, communion is a reminder for us that that we're free to confess our sin, including our sin of, of exalting our own experience and reason and tradition above Scripture. And we're free to confess our sin because what we're remembering in communion is that Jesus died so that we might be forgiven from our sin. The bread and the juice, they remind us of Jesus' body and his blood which was broken and shed for us as he lived the life that you and I were intended to live and as he died the death that you and I deserve to die for our sin. And communion, it does not make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, it's a chance for us to remember and to worship God, and to celebrate the good news that the Bible proclaims that we know and are made right with God by his grace alone, on the basis of Christ alone, received by faith alone, to the glory of God alone, with Scripture alone as our highest authority. And so as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if your faith is in him to be the one that makes you right with God, then whenever you're ready, take communion. You don't need to be a member here. You just need to belong to Jesus. If you miss the elements on the way in, they're on a table in the foyer and you can grab them on your way out. But if not, if you're here this morning and and you're in the process of figuring out what you think about the Bible and the God that it reveals, I want to encourage you this morning, hold off on taking communion. You see, God's not after rituals and traditions. He's after your heart. And so receive and trust him before you take communion. But at the same time, I, I want to make clear that if you're here this morning and you're just figuring out what you think about the Bible and any of that stuff, I just want you to know you are welcome here. In fact, I'm honored that you would join us this morning and be a part of our church I want you to know that your questions are welcome here and your doubts are welcome here and your, your process of figuring it out is welcome here. And I do not have answers to all of the questions, but I do have time to honor the questions that you have. And so if you're here this morning and you are wrestling with what you think about God and his word, I want to encourage you to keep asking those questions and to feel free to ask them to me or to someone else you came with or at a small group. But also, I want to encourage you to keep wrestling with the claims that the Bible makes about the God that it proclaims and the message of salvation that it reveals. You see, the the Bible's claims are not only huge, they are hugely important. And I want to urge you to keep pressing in and thinking deeply about that. With that in mind, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for allowing us to gather here this morning so that we might study it, God, we want to, as we gather, we just want to confess our tendency to allow things like reason and experience and tradition to instead of take a subordinate role to your word, become the final authority in and above it. God, we just want to confess that that's sin. It's a rejection of you and it's an enthroning of ourselves. God, and sometimes we do that intentionally, often accidentally, but God, we want to be a people and a church that instead elevates your word to its rightful place as the thing of which holds our highest authority in our hearts and lives. God, help us to submit and to surrender our own thinking and our own opinions and our own worldviews unto the authority of your word. God, knowing that it results in our good and your glory in all things. And so God, we pray to that end. Amen.